welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Young lady, young lady, hello, I'm Nick, I'm Nick, I'm Nick. Oh, hi. Can I ask you guys a question about Christmas? Sure. Yes. Joy to the world, the... I don't know. Let every heart... I don't know. How many wise men were there? Um, 62? No. Five. No. Six. No. Three. Well done. Three wise men. Three. Three? There were three gifts, so people assumed that there were three wise men, when in reality, nobody knows how many wise men. That's true. Kind of an intriguing thought. Mm-hmm. I had milk ass thrown on me when I was a lifeguard in Rockville, Maryland. I agree. Do you by any chance know the gifts that they gave to the baby Jesus? No, I do not. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay. All right. All right. Gold. Frankincense. I don't remember. No, sorry. And myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense, myrrh, and silver. Silver. Frankincense, myrrh, and... Silver. Silver, thank you. Gold. Myrrh, amber. Amber? I don't know about The three wise men gave Jesus three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and... Uh, do you know what frankincense is? May I? Sure. I've got a little bit of mistletoe. They're not quite sure what to do. Oh, I got my <laughs> First kiss. Front, oh on God. camera. Whoa! When did you guys get married? Oh! Oh! <laughs> ah. Can I ask you guys a quick question? In Australia, it is uh, the summertime right now. Yes. Do you know when they celebrate Christmas? When is summer over here? Like six months from now? Yep. That is actually incorrect. It what? Do you know when they celebrate Christmas? No, I do not currently. Huh. Same, Same time. Same time. Summer 25th. Correct. Do you believe in Santa Claus? Some kids tonight were saying that they did, and I let them know that he's not real. Oh, you well, did. Well, because he's not. I mean, I told them. What do you want for Christmas? If you could have one thing for Christmas, what would that be? Money. A camera. Drums. A bunch of shoes. Would you prefer that I say Merry Christmas or uh, Happy Holidays? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry have Christmas. a good night. Thank you. Yes, thank you. 
All right, let's give it up for Nick on Nicklet. Uh, and you can wish me a Merry Christmas anytime you want. Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor and wish them a Merry Christmas. Do that right now. Yes. I, I was... I was not surprised that people did not know the story. And it's interesting, you know, what were the three gifts? Uh, silver. He was betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. They brought him gold. And did you catch that? I think that one guy was Duck Dynasty. Did you catch that? It was a Duck Dynasty going on right there, I think, you know. But anyways, there's always room for family. That's our series here. And uh, we are in week three. And in week one, we talked about, it kind of offends us in the story of the birth of Jesus that there wasn't room for him. That there wasn't room. There should always be room for Jesus. And we said in this church, there will always be room for family. We are going to make room. That's why we add services. That's why we've added campuses. That's why we are always uh, thinking of other ways to grow and reach more people. Because there's room for people to be part of the family of God. We challenge you to uh, send out the Christmas cards, and hopefully you did. Uh, we challenge you to have a neighborhood Christmas party, which we did, and it was a little bit lower attendance this year. Flu was going around, and so we had half of one family, half of another, half of another, but it was still good, and we invited them to be a part of our uh, celebration with Christmas Eve. Uh, we, in- we encourage you to take a lesson from my brother Rick and open up your home and say, hey, this year at Christmas, there's room for family. We can have uh, people over for dinner. We can do something like that. And we even took it a step further. Uh, You know, we usually have just kind of a little brunch with just a few family, like my mom, our immediate family, maybe two other people, real small. And we do that on Christmas Day. And my mom was like, hey, if you said there's always room for family, we need to invite people that don't have a place that that have moved here. And so our little brunch has now turned into 20 people on Christmas morning. And, uh, but I did send a memo out. I said, sweatpants, sweatsuits. It's casual. We are not dressing up, all right? So be casual. But we're doing it. We're opening up our home and saying there's room for family. And I hope you're doing the same thing. And you took that challenge in week one. Then in week two, Pastor Darren continued it and talked about uh, Mary and Elizabeth being family. And then said, when we connect with our family, our faith is strengthened. And I think that's something about coming together as a church, and you notice in the story of the birth of Jesus, Mary goes to Elizabeth and is like, I need my my faith to be strengthened. I know that you're in on the story as well, so I'm coming to you, and I need some strength. And we're strengthened in our family connections. Now, as we look at week three here, I want to look at three different groups. I want to look at people that would say, uh, I feel forgotten this Christmas. I think they're in the story. And I want to look at people that would say, um, maybe I'm too sketchy, I'm too dysfunctional. Is there room for sketchy, dysfunctional people in the Christmas story? And I believe there is. And then I want to look at a third group is, is there room for people that are fluent, educated, uh, that have, uh, just people would say, have got it well off? Yes, there's room for you too in this story. So the first group we want to look at is those people that are forgotten. And I can't help but think of a guy in the story by the name of Joseph. Okay, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 is where we're going to start. Joseph is what I would call an unlikely participant in the story. He almost excludes himself out of the story. Matter of fact, that was his plan to get completely out of what God was doing. God's ready to say, this is going to be an incredible family. And Joseph is ready to say, like, I'm out. I'm stepping out of the process. Here's what was going on. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child 
through the Holy Spirit. So we're introduced to Joseph, and we find out that he's pledged to be married to Mary. Now, we know a few things about Joseph. We know that uh, his hometown was Bethlehem, but we know that he's living in Nazareth. Now, I've been to Israel, and I want to let you know it's 95 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So any lady here that has ever given birth, think about this. Mary is on the verge of giving birth, and she's doing a 95-mile journey. And if they have a donkey in their culture, Joseph would be riding the donkey, okay? She's walking, he's riding. Does that bother you? Okay, put her back on the donkey. All right, let's deal with that, all right? Put her back on the donkey. But probably she walked and he rode. That was their culture, okay? So we know this, that he's a carpenter. We know that in all likelihood he was a mason because their, their carpenters were really people that were builders. The term that is used here is really like somebody that was, could uh, build out of stone and could actually build buildings. Some of us think that he built little tables, but it was most likely he was a builder of buildings. We also know that he was poor, And we know this because when Jesus was born, he went to the temple. Joseph and Mary go to the temple to say, thank you, God, for our baby. And they can do two sacrifices. They can offer a lamb or they can offer a turtle dove. If they have the money, they're supposed to do the lamb. If they don't have the money, they can do the poor man's offering, which is a turtle dove. And they choose to do the poor man's offering. Now, I got to tell you, it wasn't like he got to the temple and was like, hey, let's save some money here, you know. It wasn't like that. He was legitimately poor. He was a devout follower of God, and you're going to see that in the scripture here. So we know that he's poor. We also know that uh, according to their customs, he was about 17 years old. So he's about 17 years old, and he's pledged to be married to Mary. Now, he doesn't have the insight that she does. An angel has appeared to her and said, Mary, you're highly favored. You're going to give birth to God's son. You're going to bring the promised one, the Messiah. The Holy Spirit is going to supernaturally impregnate you because she's like, how will this happen? I don't know. I've never been with a man. How is this going to happen? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit is going to supernaturally overshadow you and you're going to give birth to the Messiah. Now she's got to go and tell Joseph, uh, hey, Joseph, you know how much I love you? Um, The other day... Uh, I heard I was with an, I, there was an angel, and I know you know, and uh, and and I'm I'm pregnant, and I'm giving birth to the and, I, and how many know at that moment Joseph's not hearing anything else? <laughs> He's like, whole, uh, I don't know about the angel, I don't know about the promise. All I know is I'm not the guy. Uh, that's what I know in this story in this scenario. <laughs> And so she's telling him that this is what's happening and what's going on, and and and, and in this process, it's got to be just devastating to him because. He is legally married to her, although they haven't had the marriage ceremony. In their culture, the parents would arrange the marriage, and they'd, they'd do something. They'd say, all right, you're going to marry her, and this is a legally binding contract. They would sign it, and so they were legally married. And what would happen is then the guy would go and prepare a place for his bride to live. And when the house was ready, he would go and get his friends together, and it could take up to a year for him to build the home. He would get his friends together, and he'd get a band together, and then he'd go through the town, and then he would shout and call for his bride, okay? And he'd say, like, I'm ready to marry you. It's the day. And she'd have to be ready. Now, it's interesting. That's how Jesus left the earth. He said, I go to my father's house. There's many mansions. I wouldn't tell you that if it wasn't true. I go to prepare a place for you. And there's going to be a day that I'm coming back with a shout, a trump. Think about it. The same way. So this is what's going on. And he's thinking, I've been building the house. I've been preparing for you. I've been getting ready to marry you. And now you're telling me this. And he's devastated. 
dream's gone. And so he's ready to get out of the picture and be like, I, I, I can't believe you did this to me. I can't believe I'm, this is my lot in life. I can't believe this. And in verse 19, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, there are two ways that he could divorce her. He could do one way, which was the public way, and he would bring her in front of the judge. And the judge would sit at the city gates, and he'd be there in front of all the elders and the rulers of the city, and there'd be people doing business there. And there'd be lots of people. And Joseph could have brought her there and said, this woman was pledged to be married to me. And we're legally married, but we haven't had the wedding yet, the ceremony, but we're legally bound to each other. And now I divorced her because she's been unfaithful. He could have made a big scene of it, but he doesn't want to do that. He has another option to do where he could go and just find two witnesses and say to those two witnesses, she's broke my heart. She's pregnant. I'm not the dad. And I want to divorce her. I'm not following through with this. I've been preparing the house, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going through with it. And that's what he had chosen to do. So we know this guy must have, I mean, put some humanity on this guy. He must have cried buckets of tears that night going to bed, thinking this is just devastating. And he's going to bed with the plan of like, okay, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. But then in verse 20, it says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so Joseph obeys this. He marries her. He keeps her a virgin. He names the baby Jesus. And you think about this. In this moment, he goes through with all the things he needs to do and then kind of just gets written out of the story. I mean, he just kind of disappears. We don't hear a lot about him at all. And he's kind of a minor guy. He's really almost somebody in the whole story that's forgotten. I mean, think about it. I mean, people write songs about Mary, you know, like, Mary, did you know that your baby... They don't do, Joseph, were you crazy? And I mean, they, they don't do that, okay? So he's kind of... And nobody says, like, hail Joseph, blessed are the... They don't do that stuff, none of those things. Or like, he's, like, left out, okay? Some of you got that, all right? Um, <laughs> so he just has a supporting role. And he's really somebody that almost is forgotten. And he's somebody that almost took himself out of the story, but God intervenes. And if you're here today and you're thinking you're forgotten, let Joseph just represent you. And instead of writing yourself out of the story, let God intervene right now. Let him intervene and, and hear God saying, you're not forgotten. You're part of this. Maybe people take you for granted, but you're still, you're part of this. You're important to God. You matter. You may be thinking, I, I'm left out. I'm all alone. And I don't know. I feel like I'm forgotten. You're not forgotten. You are part of this family. You're part of God's family. There's always room for family. One of the things our church has done over and over again at this time of year and all throughout the year though, but especially now, we let people know that they're not forgotten, that they're part of the family. And one of the things we do is we have a service called the empty chair. It's always the Wednesday before Christmas Eve. We had it this year as well at a couple of our campuses. And it's for those that are grieving the loss of a loved one. You know, they're hurting. They say there's an empty chair this year at Christmas and we're gonna be hurting. And so it's a service for healing and it's, it's just a great time to acknowledge the grief but say we're moving through our grief, we're moving forward and we're gonna grab hold of what God has for us today. It's just an amazing service. And, and one of the things that hit me this year is about row four, you know, in the service, there was one young man. He's on our team. He's a, on our staff at one of our other campuses and he was all by himself in row four. 
And as I'm getting ready to come up and preach the message and minister to the people, I see him there and his dad died this last year. And I was looking at him and my whole time I'm getting choked up in the service and I'm realizing you're not alone. You're not, you may be sitting in that row alone, but man, I am there with you. And as soon as the service was done, I went down and I put my arm around him and I said, you are not alone. You are not forgotten. We know about the loss of your dad. We're standing with you. You can sit with me anytime. I almost got down from preaching and sat with you to let you know that you are not alone. And I'm telling you right now, you're not alone in this church. You may think like, I'm forgotten. You may have come by yourself. You may think you're all, you are not alone. We are with you. We are family and there's always room for family. The church also remembers the poor at this time of year. We, we gave uh, dozens of gifts to Operation uh, Christmas Tree or Angel Tree. We did gifts for Operation Christmas Child, a thousand of them we wrapped. We did hundreds of gifts and thousands of dollars to the Inner City Life Center. Uh, 30 people from our church went to Swaziland and ministered to HIV AIDS orphans and did a Christmas party for 6,000 kids over the process of days. Uh, there are people that are going to be going down to women's shelters and serving meals as part of our church because we're saying you're not forgotten. The world may forget you, but you're not forgotten. And if you feel forgotten, uh, I'm just praying that you realize you're not forgotten. You're part of the family you're in. There's always room for family. You might be here in your military. You have someone deployed and you're thinking, oh, they're not home. I don't know if, they're, if the church knows about me. Yeah, we do. We pray for you. We, I had a young man just the other service, he came up to me and he said, I'm being deployed and not next week, but the week after. He said, I'll be at Saturday night service. I said, will you do me a favor? Will you make sure that after service, you gather us together? We want the elders to lay hands on you and pray for you. You are not forgotten. You'll be in our prayers. So people are not forgotten. They're with us. And if Joseph almost got himself out of the story, and if Joseph seems like somebody like, oh yeah, he's just there and then he's gone. No, he was an important part of the story. And I'm praying you'll realize you're part of this family and I think it'd be very appropriate right now as a church to take a moment to pray for people that feel forgotten. Um, I can't help but think of all the tragedy in Newtown and uh, those families that are wondering, you know, where are you, God? And, and do we feel your love? And we feel the tragedy and the grief of the empty chair. I can't help but think about the people yesterday, another shooter uh, in Pennsylvania. A lady was decorating for their kid's Christmas musical, and this random shooter shot her and killed her, then went and shot four people who were dead yesterday. And I think about these people that are grieving and hurting, and uh, I think it would be very appropriate for us to just take a moment in this service to say, God, they are not forgotten. We lift them up in prayer. So could you bow your heads with me? Lord, we just pray right now in this service to uh, stop to realize that people are not forgotten. I pray if they feel forgotten, if they've almost written themselves out of the story, I pray that they realize they're part of this family. And we pray for those that are grieving, that have an empty chair this year at Christmas, that are hurting because of the loss of a loved one from a, a disease they didn't want to know the name, a tragedy that happened, or just uh, old age, whatever it was. But there's a loss, and we pray that they'd realize their family, we're with them. Every hug they get, every handshake that's there, it says, we love you, you're part of our family. No one is alone. For the military families that have someone deployed and they're away, or even if they're watching right now online, I pray for those families that are uh, separated, that they'd realize they're not alone, they're not forgotten. We are with them, and right now, this church is lifting them up in prayer. And for the poor and hurting that feel like maybe they're forgotten, they're overlooked, Lord, we say they're not. We say with every gift that they receive, when they open up the gift, instead of just being caught up in the gift, they'd realize that somebody loves them, somebody cares, somebody's there. Yeah. 
And for everyone that's going to go work at a a shelter or serve meals or whatever they're going to do in the remainder of this season, God, I pray that you'd bless them, that every meal would be served, would be with that thought of you are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may play a supporting role, but you're not forgotten. Get that from Joseph. Second group, if you are dysfunctional, there is room for you in this family. Okay? You can't help but read the story of the birth of Jesus and realize that sketchy, dysfunctional people were part of it. Now, I know we think the shepherds were pretty amazing because we can look back at it with hindsight bias and we know the story and we know the shepherds were really important in this story. But shepherds were not looked uh, on favorably. They were simple folk. Uh, They were not well respected. Matter of fact, their word could not even be trusted in court. Okay, because they were known as liars. So think about it. It's interesting. God sends his son to the earth, and the first people he has go out and tell people about his birth of his son is a group of liars. All right, think about that. Okay, so here's what we have. In Luke chapter 2, we also have this story about the birth of Jesus. It says, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And so they're watching these flocks and they're taking care of the sheep. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to them and says, the Messiah is being born, the the promised one, the one that's going to take you out of your sin and your captivity. He's going to set you free. And so these shepherds are able to go to the manger and see Jesus. It's an amazing thing. Luke chapter 2, verse 16, it says, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Then verse 17 and 18, it says, when they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. It's an amazing thing that there's room in God's story for sketchy, dysfunctional, looked down upon people. And I think that there's a very great teachable moment for us here in the church for us to understand that all of us have some dysfunction going on, all right? There's room for family, and if you're dysfunctional, I hope you feel comforted when I share a little bit of our family's dysfunction with you, okay? Uh, my, my dad's side uh, came to America in about 1901, right around that time. Uh, they were immigrants from Russia. Uh, they were actually Germans. They went to Russia looking for a better life. It wasn't going on in Russia, so they heard about America and immigrated here. Uh, my grandfather had that classic elementary education, but really spoke German, didn't even speak English until he went to school. And my memories of my grandfather were him mixing German and English together. And he said all the time, girl, girl, you know, that's the thing he'd always say. All right. And that's the thing. He was not very well educated and needed a job, didn't have uh, high society on him. His first job when he moved to Minneapolis, St. Paul area was bowling pin setter. Okay, before there were automated bowling alleys, my grandfather used to stand above the bowling pins, people would bowl the ball, and then he'd move away the pins and then set the other pins. That's it. So shepherd, bowling ball guy. All right, we got it. My dad was the typical guy. It's funny to see pictures of him uh, driving his Harley Davidson, cigarettes rolled up in the sleeve. And he told me, he says, you know, I was just the regular guy. I'd get drunk on the weekends. I, 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 I was getting drunk. I was smoking. He said, I had my pornography collection. He said, that's who I was before Jesus found me. And he said, and, uh, you know, that was my life. And he said, then Jesus found me and my whole life changed. You say, well, that's not very sketchy. Let's talk about my mom's side. All right. All right. You know, my mom is Isabel. 
godly lady around the church, has, has served the Lord faithfully. But before that, she grew up in a very dysfunctional home, very dysfunctional home. Matter of fact, she told me about my Uncle Bob. She said, if your Uncle Bob ever comes to visit and he knocks on the door, don't open it, okay? Get your mom and dad. Don't open the door for Uncle Bob. It is true. He's your uncle. Don't open the door. Are we clear? Don't open the door for Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob went in and out of marriages, in and out of running from different things of the law, and ultimately, uh, we got the report one day that he was found on a remote island in Hawaii that he had killed himself. That's in our family history. My other uncle uh, was in and out of the state penitentiary for years. This is my mom's brother, in and out of the state pen for years, ultimately turned around his life and became a productive citizen, but in and out of uh, state pen, and his son committed suicide. So now we have two suicides in our family. That's my cousin and my uncle. My mom was no saint either. As soon as she could get away from home, she got away from home as soon as she could and took a job with a new company in Minneapolis called Northwest Airlines. She became a flight attendant. And not knowing the Lord and living a promiscuous lifestyle, she became pregnant from a pilot that she didn't love. She thought to herself, well, I have the ability and the means to go get a back alley abortion or not, or what should I do? And she decided that wasn't what she needed to do. She, she decided, I'll give birth to this baby. So she went and saw her mom and dad when she was four months pregnant and took the ribbing like, oh, Isabel, you're gaining weight. No, oh, you're looking a lot. And she said, well, it's airline food. How many know that's a lie? Uh, you know. And took the ribbing and all that and then went and had the baby and then went and saw her mom and dad after she had the baby. My grandfather never saw his granddaughter, never, not once, because mom was afraid that if he saw her and if he knew what she did, she would be disowned from the family forever. My grandmother got a glimpse, and interestingly, my sister got a glimpse one day of my grandfather. My mom said, here's where I'll have him. You can see him, but you can never meet him. So my sister was given up for adoption, and one day my mom comes into our room. She gathers me and my three younger brothers together. She's weeping, and she says, boys, I need to tell you something. Will you forgive your mom? Before I met your dad, I was pregnant and gave a baby up for adoption, and you have an older sister. I said, that's not true. I've seen my birth certificate. That's a lie. It says number of previous births, zero. It says it right on mine. And she said, Rob, that was the 60s. They would cover for you. Unwed mothers were not something that people talked about. So they covered it up for me and I gave her up for adoption. You have a sister. So I met a sister that I didn't even know because she came looking for her birth mom because her adopted mother had died and she wanted a mom in her life. So she came and found our family. Uh, here she is, almost 19 years old, finding her family. We were able to lead her to faith in Jesus Christ because she really wasn't a Christ follower. So we were able to lead her into that. She married someone from our church and is now doing fantastic, living in Missouri. And so the story has a great ending. But I'm telling you, it comes from a family that had some dysfunction. And now you hear that and you're like, I'm not so bad after all, hey. <laughs> Welcome to the family. There's room for sketchy dysfunction. There's room for it. But the beautiful thing is God takes people from sketchy dysfunction, brings the grace of God, and changes them. And you think like, well, Pastor Rob must have had a dad as a pastor and a grandfather as a pastor. No, that's not the story. I'm just one generation removed from that dysfunction. And I'm telling you, there's room for you in this family. There's room for you. Matter of fact, after service, I had a bunch of people that were saying to me, like, I've never felt so close to you. <laughs> My brother's in the state pen, too, you know, all right. <laughs> so it's all good. It's all, welcome to the family, all right. 
Last group, last group. Wise men represent those that have it all. And I've said before, um, we are one percenters. You say, what do you mean one percenter? I'm not one percent in the United States. Okay, some are one percenters of the United States, but all of us here are one percenters of the world. When you look at the world's wealth, you are one percenters. You are affluent. Think of how many people in this room have been to college. Think of how many people in this room have flown on an airplane or own electronics or uh, have a home or have a home for your automobile called a garage. Think about how affluent you are, all right? We are rich. We are affluent. And there's a group here that is part of the story that says you can be part of the family too, and it's the wise men. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. So these wise men, it would be very appropriate to call them wise men. They were educated in so many things, in medicine, in philosophy, in astronomy. They were, they were just educated people. They were affluent. They were from Persia. They were well-educated. I mean, these people had it all. They weren't really kings, if you will, but they were kingmakers, okay? And it's interesting, um, just so you, you may not realize this, they weren't at the original scene. You know, some of us have like a nativity scene. You have the shepherds and an angel and the animals and the manger and all that. And you got the wise men there. They weren't really there. They didn't find them until sometime later. So if you want them in your nativity scene to be correct, put them off to the side, okay? Put them off, you know, over there. They were late comers to the event of Jesus. But they came, and we don't know for sure how long it took, but I want to tell you something that's kind of culturally interesting. The Orthodox Church believes that it was 12 days after December 25th, that it was 12 days later, the wise men came. And in some cultures, they actually celebrate a thing uh, called the Day of Three Kings. In our Spain campus, in Valencia, Spain, um, they actually celebrate this. It's bigger than Christmas. It's on January 6th, and they'll have a big festival all throughout Spain, Three Kings Day. And I've been trying to figure out how we as a church could adapt that. Like, is there a way that we could do something with Three Kings Day to keep the focus on Jesus, to keep something culturally relevant to say, hey, there were others that came and worshiped. But we don't know how long it took, but they think it was about 12 days, the Orthodox Church. And incidentally, that's where you get the 12 days of Christmas. They start December 25th and go till January 6th. It's the 12 days of Christmas, all right? So these wise men come there, and this is what it says about them in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Now, these people were intellectuals. And I believe that they had to overcome things because they're looking at it. And intellectually, sometimes rich people, sometimes affluent people, sometimes people that are college educated, some people that are in the top 1% of the world have a hard time coming to the gospel of Jesus Christ because everything else gets in the way. Their wealth gets in the way. Their biases get in the way. Their barrier, their intellect, and they can't get past all these things. And they can't see with the eyes of faith. You have to see with the eyes of faith. And you have to say, God, speak to me. Help me see Jesus for who he really is. I want to be part of the story. There's always room for the family. And we're not going to write off people that are intellectual. We're not threatened by that because we believe the word of God can withstand the scrutiny. We're going to say to the people that are intellectual, open your eyes of faith and see who Jesus really is. Because these people had to get past a lot of biases and a lot of barriers. 
I mean, they had to get past cultural barriers and distance barriers and racial barriers and religious barriers. They had a hostile king that did not want them to worship Jesus, and yet they still went and worshiped Jesus. Now, let me say this. If you're intellectual, if you're affluent, if you're top 1% of the United States or the world, welcome to the family. But you get into the family the same way everyone else does. You get in the same way. The wise men came and they knelt before Jesus. Everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. I don't care if you're poor and sketchy. I don't care if you're rich and affluent. And isn't it interesting? We call poor people weird and we call rich people eccentric. They're all just dysfunctional. How many know what I'm talking about, right? It doesn't matter. You get into the family of God the same way. Eyes of faith, you see him who he really is, and you bow a knee. And one thing, maybe your affluence allows you to bring more gifts to the Lord. You can bring more because you have so much. You can bring more to the church and say, use this for the glory of God. Advance the cause of Christ. Make it go forward. That's a a gift that you could bring to the church, to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you what, you've got to bow a knee, and you've got to say, open up my eyes. There's room for you. There's room. But you have to overcome the barriers in a different way. Some people feel unworthy because they're sketchy and dysfunctional. Some people feel like they're, not, they're too worthy and they're better than that. And whichever group you're in, God is saying there's room for you. Come into the family, there's room for you. Joseph represents the forgotten. The shepherds represent the dysfunctional and sketchy. And the wise men represent the affluent, educated, and intellectual. And I want to say whatever class you're in, whatever category you're in, there's room for you in this family. It's really simple. You get in by bowing a knee to Jesus Christ. You get in by admitting that you're a sinner, that you're separated from God. Whether you're rich or poor, you've been separated from God and you give your life to Jesus Christ. You say a simple prayer. And in just a moment, I'm gonna lead people in that prayer. It's very simple. I know some people are intellectual. They're like, how could it be so simple that I would say a prayer and ask God to forgive me, but that's the way he set it up. He said the complex stuff has been done by Jesus. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. And he offers you forgiveness now if you'll accept him. He's done the complex hard part. You do the faith part and believe it. And when you confess your sins to him, he says, I'm ready to forgive you. You can be part of the family. And so if you're here or watching online, I'd love for you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment and contemplate that. Which group are you in? Are you in the family Praise God you're in the family. That's so awesome that you're in the family. Do you feel forgotten? You are not forgotten. You can be part of this family. Do you feel dysfunctional and sketchy? I hope that me being transparent about our family has opened it up where you say, you know what, there's room for me. There's no sin so bad that Jesus couldn't forgive it. He says, welcome to the family. Do you struggle with the intellect and you're saying, I need eyes of faith. I need eyes of faith. Do you struggle because you have so much and you think, if I follow Jesus, I don't know what he'll ask of me. The Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? If you lose your soul, you lose. You may have the largest bank account. You may have degree after degree. But if you lose your soul, you lose. This is your moment to have eyes of faith and say, I want in on the promise that Jesus Christ gives me. I want to be part of the family. And if that's you all across this place, in just a moment, regardless of what category you're in, I'm going to ask that you'd raise up a hand, and then I'd acknowledge it, and then you'd put it down, and we'll say a prayer together. I will pray a prayer of faith, believing that you'll be forgiven of your sins. But I would just ask all across this place, if that's you, you're saying, Pastor Rob, include me in the prayer, I want in. 
Would you go ahead right now and as a sign saying, God, I want into the family. I'm not forgotten. I'm not too dysfunctional. I'm not too affluent. God, I want in on the family. Would you raise your hand so that I could acknowledge that? Yes, I see your hand over there. Yes, hands going up all over the place all over. There are dozens of hands everywhere that are going up that are saying, I'm part of this family. I'm looking at my left, your right, and I come into agreement with all those hands. There's got to be uh, over a half dozen, maybe 10 hands. This next section here, I come to agreement in the front and the back. Yes, and in the middle section, there's hands all over the place. And in the side section to my right, your left, there are hands all over there. I come into agreement with all those that are raising. And in the far right section, your left, is there anyone else over there? Yes, yes, yes. I see your hand, and I'm so glad you raised it. I'd even pause just right now for those people way in the back, yes. And for those that are watching online, I know there are people that are watching all around the world online. I pause for you. I can't see your hand, but God can. And I come into agreement. If you're saying you want Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's saying, welcome to the family. You're about to get in. And so all across this place and online, would you bow your heads, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to ask that you'd repeat it after me. I'm going to ask that the people around you would repeat it out loud with you as a form of agreement. They've already prayed the prayer, but they're going to pray it with you out loud just as a form of encouragement. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be forgiven, you will be saved, you'll be part of the family of God, and you're in. So let's pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sins and all that I've done wrong, and I ask for forgiveness. You died on the cross so I could be forgiven and I receive that. I believe in you, Jesus. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. I pledge today to no longer live for myself, but I live for you, my Lord and Savior. Lord, I thank you for those that made that simple prayer. They asked for forgiveness. It's so simple. Even those that are intellectual, it just seems so simple. How could it be so simple? But it's true. And I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that they would realize that they've confessed their sins. They turn from it. They're no longer living for themselves. They're living for you. And they can be forgiven of everything they've done. And that forgiveness is real. It was paid for on the cross and it has now been applied to them because of grace. They didn't do anything to earn it. All they did is receive it. And now they can say, I'm part of the family of God. I'm part of this group that brings in forgotten people, that brings in dysfunctional, sketchy people, that brings in intellectual people that need to have eyes of faith. But I'm part of that family and I celebrate and rejoice that I've been forgiven of my sins. I don't have it all understood, Lord, but I understand now that I'm on a journey with you and I'm living for you. I'll do the best that I can living in the grace that you give me. And I thank you, Lord, that they've come into agreement with that. And I rejoice on those that gave their life to Jesus Christ. Blessings on them. In your name I pray, amen and amen. About 30 people did that. Can we thank the Lord for those people that did that? Yeah. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Give me one minute to talk to those people and then anybody online that was watching that made that decision. Two things. I'm going to ask you to do two things. I won't embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you to do two things. There's a little book we have called Now What? It's our gift to you, no charge, just a gift, small book. And it says, Now What? How do you walk? 
How do you walk? You said, I turn from living for myself to living for you, for you, Lord. How do you do that? It just helps you to make that decision. In there, I wrote a little note from me to you saying, hey, congratulations on that. And I gave you a little plan on how to read your Bible. Because a lot of people are like, I don't even know how to read. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get you a Bible, all right? Uh, so that's number one, get that. Prayer team members will have that in the front or at the Welcome Center, they'll have it. And you can just go up and say, I need the Now What book, all right? Second thing I want you to do, and this is important, don't ignore it. You had a personal moment with Jesus Christ. I let you raise your hand. I prayed with you. You repeated after me. It was personal. It was a personal decision that you made, but there's something about you going public. There's something about you going public and saying, I made my decision to follow Jesus. And so I'm going to ask that if you made that decision to follow Jesus, you'll tell somebody before you go to bed today, before you go to bed tonight, that you'll tell them that you gave your life to Jesus. You'll tell a relative, you'll tell a neighbor, you'll tell somebody you came to church with, you'll tell a prayer team member, but out loud, audibly, verbally from you, you're going to say, I did it. I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Somebody might say, well, do you know everything you did? I don't know everything I did, but I know I'm on a journey with Jesus, and I got a now what thing, so I'm going to read it, all right? You know, but tell somebody before you go to bed two things. Get this and tell somebody. We celebrate that new life. Welcome to the family. Welcome to your family. Welcome. Yes. Let's stand all across this place. Prayer team members, come and make your way to the front so you can pray with people. And they'll pray with you whether you gave your life to Jesus or maybe you're part of a dysfunctional family and you're going to go see them today or tomorrow and you need a little prayer. They'll pray with you, all right? Welcome to the family. We are so thrilled for those that made that decision and uh, want to just invite you back for the celebration on Christmas Eve. It'll be a different service, lots of Christmas carols, uh, a challenge, a time to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ with other people that are part of our family. So I encourage you to be here. Have lots of grace and mercy as the place will be full and uh, be happy that lots of families showing up, all right? God bless you. Have a great week serving the Lord and welcome to the family. <laughs>